Welcome to It's In My Queue, the podcast where we talk about TV pilots. I'm Kara. And I'm Adina. And today we are talking about Downton Abbey. So before we begin, uh, let's uh, have a round of applause because this is our 50th pilot that we are covering. Woo! Woo! Yeah, That's exciting. It's more than our 50th episode because we've done a bunch of little bonus episodes on other topics, but... Um, it is our 50th regular um, episode where we watch and analyze a pilot, and that's pretty cool. I think we've learned a lot, and we learn something from every pilot. So, um, you know, keep an eye out for, like, our social channels and stuff. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing some of the little lessons and reflections we've learned from all the pilots we've listened to. Um Yes. Yeah. And we also had something really cool happen uh, to our last episode, um, our 49th episode. Uh, that was our we our first time getting officially acknowledged by someone who worked on a show that we covered. And not only someone yeah. who worked on it, but the creator. So if you didn't listen to our last episode from a couple weeks ago, we talked about Dickinson um, and the creator of the show, Elena Smith. Uh, very kindly, she she found our episode, I think, through Twitter and listened to it and and shared it and she said that she really enjoyed it so we are we are very honored definitely that she checked it out and that she liked it and also relieved that I didn't say anything bad (laughs) yeah no I we were recording that and as we were recording that I was like my jokes are all over the place today um and then uh she listened to the episode and I was like oh she heard all my crazy I thought your jokes were great I I thought you brought great energy to that episode especially as someone who hadn't seen it um and that episode I think is part of what inspired Kara's show choice for today so last time um, we had her watch. Well, I didn't pick it. Our guest Iko picked it, but it was a show I had also seen that was a period piece. One of the few period pieces I really enjoy. And now Kara is taking the opportunity to have me watch one of the period pieces that she really enjoys. Yeah. Like very early on when we started this podcast, I kept joking that I was going to make Adina sit and watch Downton Abbey. Though I know how she feels about period pieces. And she, I was just like, this is not going to be something that's up her alley at all. So, uh, but then the first period piece I made her watch was Bridgerton. And that's more of a romance, frankly. So uh, they're not that attached to the actual rules of the period. But Downton Abbey very much is. This is a, a big jump from Dickinson, which we talked about in our last episode. Uh, different time period, different country. And also just, um, I know I kept relating things. If you listened to that episode, I kept relating things back to Downton Abbey because for some reason that was my only frame of reference last week, Downton Abbey. And I think I mentioned Bridgerton a couple times. Uh, but yeah. So uh, this is one of the very first shows that I watched on Netflix back when Netflix streaming was still new. So I think I, I found it in about 2011, 20, no, 2012. Um, so my, one of my teachers in high school asked me if I had seen Downton Abbey season two had just started airing on PBS. Um, and I said, I hadn't watched it and I checked out the first season on Netflix. Um, I remember watching it and being, that was the first instance of me having to turn subtitles on on a show because (laughs) I I guess like 15 year old me was like, these accents are confusing me. 
I have to turn on the subtitles. Yeah, um, I really had to. I, I, for some reason, I had my subtitles turned off on Prime when I was watching it this morning, I think because I was getting screenshots of something else. And after two seconds, I was like, absolutely not. I need these subtitles. <laughs> No, um, they're because they're like some of them have very specific like regional northern accents, yeah, there was which are a little harder there. to understand. I well, some of those servants were talking, and I was like, Jody Comer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I watched all of season one. Season one's only like seven episodes, so I watched it very quickly. And then I watched the first episode of season two, which had just aired like the week before and was caught up to watch episode two when it came on on Sunday night on Masterpiece Classic on PBS. <laughs> and so me, this is a one of the first shows that me and my mom really got into together. Um, so we watched it all the way through. I've seen both the movies. I did write a review for the second movie on uh, Screen Spec. Oh, nice. It was fun. I enjoyed that one uh, more than the first one. Uh, but yeah, so that's where I am about Downton Abbey. I've also now rewatched it many, many times. I own all of the seasons on DVD. I could, I could literally tell you everything that happened on Downton Abbey. Once wow. someone asked me a very specific question, um, about, he was like, what happened with Edith and that farmer? And I literally looked at him and I went, which one? Cause she's had two <laughs> plots that have involved a farmer. And I was like, you have to be clearer than this. Uh, oh. um, yeah. So I know a lot about Downton Abbey. Adina knows very little. So yeah, I could tell you everything I know about it in probably one sentence, which is that it was a period piece about rich people in England uh, couldn't have told you the exact period. I mean, I knew at least like early 1900s or earlier, but I couldn't have told you 1800s versus 19. I don't know enough of the context to have said before I watched this episode, I couldn't have told you that it was mm -hmm. like 1912. Um, and I knew that Maggie Smith was on it and she, you know, said funny things and that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was kind of it. But I do actually remember like, this is, it's funny to me because like, PBS is not really a network that I know it wasn't originally made by PBS, but it was broadcast on PBS um, in the US. Um, it's not a network that you think of as like must see TV for like the cultural. Yeah. I mean, it's very important. I love PBS, but it's not really the one that you think of like that big show that everyone's talking about is on PBS. But I remember in like the early 20 teens, I heard a lot of people talking about Downton Abbey and watching it every week like I knew it was a very popular show it just didn't quite appeal to me but like I remember it being a cultural thing like people were talking about like Mad Men Breaking Bad and Downton Abbey <laughs> yep mm -hmm. um and they were all getting like nominations at the same yeah. time it was a crazy time for the drama category and we are yeah. now living in another crazy time for the drama category yeah um, which is very there's fun room for there's room for more uh women-led dramas in those drama categories i'm just gonna throw it out there that's true you're right um, so a little bit of background on Downton Abbey. It is a British period drama created by Julian Fellows, um, who is most known for writing the screenplay for the movie Gosford Park um, that won him an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. So Downton Abbey itself takes place in this like grand Yorkshire country house that is called Downton Abbey, and it follows the lives of both the family and the servants that live there. Similar vibes to Upstairs Downstairs, which is another period, British period drama. I actually haven't seen that one. Um, and the series uh, has a sprawling timeline. We start off in 1912, and by the end of season six, they're in 1926. 
Uh, So there's lots of time jumps. Some handled better than others. Um, That's interesting because I was wondering like how much they were going to go into like World War One. As soon as I realized like when it was taking place, I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. so this is like right before World War One. Yes. So season one, I'm going to tell you because you don't care. Season one (laughs) ends as like the last episode of season one. They've just shot Franz Ferdinand and war is declared. Uh, What a season cliffhanger. Yeah. Then season two picks up in 1916. And I and go basically there's four years. Season two takes place over four years. It goes from 1916 to like basically about 1920. Wow. Uh, so we see the end of World War II into the Roaring Twenties. Season two's time jumps are arguably the most confusing and not as well done, if you ask me. Um, that's not important for right now, though, because we're going to talk about the pilot. So anyway, <laughs> um, this ran on ITV, um, which is a British uh, network, from 2010 to 2015. And it started airing, um, so, like, it started off in England, but then uh, PBS's Masterpiece Classic series picked this up. Um, So the first season of Downton aired in 2011 here. So initially for this, uh, Fellows was approached by another producer who is credited on the show, Gareth Neem, about the idea of an Edwardian era, that that is the era of England that this takes place in, um, that's the king, Edward. Um, in a series, like in a country, in a big fancy country house, like on an estate. And initially, Julian Fellows was like, "Oh, this might be interesting as a sequel to Gosford Park." Um, but it became this instead. It's different now. So they decided to follow the Crawley family, um, and then their servants that work for them, who either love them or hate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of them love them. It's a little strange, but we'll ignore it. Anyway, so the house that they used to shoot, they they did uh, shoot uh, these scenes in this big estate called uh, Highclere Castle in Hampshire. Um, So for all of the upstairs scenes, like all of the exterior shots of the house and anything that takes place upstairs that is in Highclere Castle... But for anything that takes place in, like, the downstairs area or the servants' quarters, that was shot at um, a studio. So uh, it is, like, and it's, like, partly on location, but anything to do with the servants in their space, they had to recreate in a studio. And this became the most successful British costume drama since Brideshead Revisited in 1981, which I also have the DVDs of at home because I enjoy that book. Um, and it stars Jeremy Irons. Uh, this is also um, a very like critically acclaimed show. It got a lot of awards attention, specifically in uh, its first few seasons. Um, the only people that have won acting awards, like American acting awards for this, are Maggie Smith. Um, she's won the Emmy a couple of times. Uh, and Joanne Froggett won a Golden Globe, who plays Anna. Um, she won a Golden Globe first list season four, I believe. Um, and the show itself won an Emmy back in season one when they were nominated in the miniseries category. I don't, huh. I looked that up. I don't know what that's about, but I guess, but then they obviously moved to drama after the next year. Yeah, uh, that's always been funny to me. <laughs> the, you know, we don't have to have to mm-hmm. get into that now. Yeah. <laughs> and they've also won the SAG award for best ensemble before. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And Julian Fellow's new series, The Gilded Age, that's on HBO, uh, was originally dreamed up as a Downton Abbey prequel. So uh, as you know, if, if you know, watched this show, Elizabeth McGovern's character, Cora, is American. She is not British. Um, and she's like a rich heiress, a rich American heiress. The prequel was initially dreamed up as, you know, their her whole arranged marriage situation with Robert, who was looking for an heiress to keep the estate going, um, which is something that actually happened frequently in this time period where a bunch of like uh, British earls needed money for their estates. So they would go to America where there were uh, new money, wealthy women, and they would marry them and then their estates would be saved. So that is based in a little bit of history, um, which is pretty interesting. I think I read a book about this once. But it was a long time ago. Like, I was still in high school, so I don't really remember this book. And the cast is sprawling, so I'm, like, not going to mention them all. But I will mention a couple, like, one notable, a couple notable people that actually aren't in season one. Um, Lily James, for one, who is having a good career now. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is the first thing I saw her on. She plays one of the, the family's cousins like younger cousins she's a free spirit a little annoying but she gets better <laughs> um and matthew good who is pretty much i feel like i've seen him in most everything he's in i've seen him in as a period piece um he has that type of face yeah. uh, i feel like um and he was also in a version of brides had revisited so uh yeah um, well, I have a question for you, which mm -hmm. you might know the answer to. I noticed as I was watching it, I just watched this like an hour ago because Kara did all the research. Um, it said on Amazon Prime, like episode one UK version. Is there like, mm -hmm. did they edit it for the US? For, like, are there significant changes that was made when it aired in the US or something? I believe they cut a couple of scenes. Um, okay, so it, just for it the runtime? actually fit in the hour um, okay. because this ran about an hour, six minutes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, because I remember every time I got the DVDs, there were a couple of scenes that were different from what I remembered or like weren't in there at all to begin with. Okay. Um, so the UK does get a longer version. I know PBS doesn't have ads um, because it's a public channel, um, but they do have to fit into that hour time, yeah, slot, time slot, I believe. Yeah. So uh, they had to make a couple of cuts. So yeah, the first episode uh, aired on January 9th, 2011 in England. Um, it was written by Julian Fellows. Um, he wrote them all uh, and was directed by, by Brian Percival. Um, so the little Amazon description says, the lives of the Crawley family and Downton Abbey servants are changed forever when the sinking of the Titanic leaves the estate without its heir and his son. This is, I have to say, I forgot to say this. This is a soap opera. So, like, every tiny thing is so dramatic. I just have to put that out there because I feel like we have to get into what the tone is going to be because I feel like someone watching this today is going to sit there and be like, why are they acting like this? Anyway, uh, the episode begins, as always, on PBS with Laura Linney. And she says, I'm Laura Linney, and this is Masterpiece Classic. Honestly, I didn't know that was going to be there, and I it was highlight of the episode for me. I'm just kidding. No, the episode was good, but give Laura Linney an Emmy for introducing this episode. Yeah, no, every week. That's how I knew it was time, it's 9 p.m. Yeah, she always introduces Masterpiece Classic. And Masterpiece Mystery, 
was introduced by Alan Cumming. Okay. Uh, just I love a that. Fun fact. <laughs> um, yeah. So funny. I just really like that brought me back to sitting it was in my so basement funny because watching I was this. like, what does Laura Linney have to do with this? I don't know. She's obviously not getting paid for this. It's PBS, but she just comes like what what does it add to it that Laura Linney's introducing it? I don't know, but I liked it. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I don't really know how this happened, but she it's like, like every Disney Channel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was like she's not a Disney Channel star introducing Disney Channel. She's just Laura Linney. <laughs> Yeah, I loved seeing Laura Linney. That's how I knew it was time to watch Downton Abbey. I'm Laura Linney, and you're watching <laughs> Disney Channel. <laughs> yeah. So the teaser, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. You get a lot of information real quick. Um, so it starts with um, a telegraph tapping Morse code. Uh, that's what we open on. Um, and then there's a train. And it's going through the English countryside as the theme music plays, which fun fact, I once danced to in high school. We did like a dance to the Downton Abbey theme That's so funny. Uh, when I was a senior. Um, and we see a man on a train. He will be introduced to us later. Um, the telegraph signal continues to beep and a woman in Yorkshire finally gets this message. And she's like, oh my God. And the other guy who's in the office with her is like, reading it over her shoulder and he's like that's impossible and but they're like they have to write it down they have to relay this information and they're like well d- you don't need to take that right away nobody's up yet have what's his face do it when he comes in uh and then we finally see the big sprawling house this is downton abbey and that's when we get our title card um yeah, i did recognize that like i'd seen the pictures of the the abbey the building do you call it the abbey mm-hmm. okay yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I was like, yeah, I know that's the place. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, and then we get a title that reads April 1912, so we know the year. Um, we're in the servants' quarters. Um, a girl, this is Daisy, she's the scullery slash kitchen maid. Um, she's going around and waking up the other servants because it's 6 o'clock, so they have to get up to work. And we see these two housemaids, uh, Gwen and Anna, and they are not ready to wake up. They're like, oh, I wish I could wake up naturally for once. And then we go to the kitchen and we meet the cook, Mrs. Patmore, who is asking or shouting um, at Daisy a multitude of questions about things that she needs to do to prepare for the morning. Um, Daisy has the hardest jobs in the house, frankly, if you ask me. Um, and uh she has to go upstairs and light all the fires now that all of her tasks downstairs are done and she's woken all the servants and done all of the stuff to prep for breakfast it's a lot um then we go- we see the upstairs of the house for the first time uh on the first floor there's a whole hustle and bustle as like you see maids opening the windows and fluffing pillows um for anyone that likes cinematography i would actually suggest this show they have a lot of really cool shots. And one of these shots right now, they have like a very cool tracking shots. And this is one of them where we see this footman, his name is Thomas. He's coming through, like picking up glasses from last night, asks about William. He's, you know, clearing things up. He walks into the dining room where he does see William. He's rude to William. That's the theme of the episode is <laughs> Thomas is rude to William. And then we see Anna and Gwen again, uh, Anna asks Daisy why she's in the dark um, because she couldn't open the blinds because her hands are dirty. 
uh, and you can't get dirt on the things. Uh, but then they asked her, why didn't you turn on the light? And she's like, I daren't. So this is like, they've just started introducing electricity into homes. Uh, so there's like a couple of things about, uh, electricity in this episode that kind of made me laugh. Um, and then we go back downstairs and you see this woman with a set of keys. This is Mrs. Hughes, the housekeeper. Um, She's always got those keys. She's the only one that's allowed to have those keys. It's a very important symbol of her job. Um, and then we see Mr. Carson. He's in his office polishing things. He's the butler. Um, and William alerts him that breakfast is ready. Um, and Carson says, where's the papers? And William's like, they're late. Um, but so like he, he gives William an instruction to iron them as soon as they come in because they have to be ironed before they go upstairs. Then we are in the drawing room. I call it a living room, and that's wrong. We are in the drawing room. Are those uh, separate things when you have a house this big? I think so. What's the difference? So the I think a living room, frankly, would be upstairs, and you would not invite guests into it. And the drawing room is The drawing room guests. is where you receive guests. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so... Mrs. Hughes comes in to say that they, the, to the maids, that they have to do, give the dining room a good going over after breakfast. And she also says to Daisy, get back down to the kitchen before anyone sees you. That's another theme of the episode. Daisy cannot be seen. She's like the only servant where they're always like, Daisy, get away. Um, <laughs> and then we go back outside and the paper boy is on his bike. He's on his way with the papers and this is the first time we see one of the family who live in the house. Uh, this is Mary. Um, she's the oldest daughter and she's awake. She hears the bicycle. So she looks out the window and then she rings the bell by her bed uh, because that alerts the servants in the servants hall that they're awake and they need someone to come dress them. Uh, so Anna gets up to go dress Lady Mary um, because along with being head housemaid, she also dresses the girls. Uh, the daughters. Um, William finally goes to get the paper and he scolds the guy for being late. And the guy's like, well, you'll see why he will. Um, <laughs> and he looks in the paper and he, as he's ironing it and is like, oh, oh. Um, and and you're still like, oh, um, unless you know history. Um, yeah, I think something, I forget exactly what they said, but they said something as the servants were looking at the paper where my brain was like, oh, I I think I know what they're reacting to. Yeah. Um, and Daisy asks why they iron the papers. And this is, Miss o this is a good question. Yeah, um, I was wondering too. <laughs> um, and Miss O'Brien, who is another, is a lady's maid, says that it's to dry the ink and then makes a comment. She was like, you wouldn't want his lordship to have hands as black as yours. Um, Cause she's always like, you know, tending to the fires. Yeah. Um, William runs in with the newspaper and hands it to Carson uh, because there's big <laughs> um, and then, uh, we go back upstairs and we see Robert or Lord Grantham. He's making his way downstairs with his dog, Isis, great dog. Um, and he asks, uh, he goes into the dining room and he asks Carson, is it true? Um, and Carson is like afraid. So my Lord, and they start talking about how they're going to know people on it. And Carson says, I understand most of the ladies were taken off in time and, Robert's like, you mean the ladies in first class? And I think if you haven't figured it out yet now, the Titanic has sunk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the like the Titanic went down and they're reacting to the news. 
uh, the daughters come downstairs. So we see Mary, who's dressed now, and Edith, who is the middle sibling. Um, when I say that Edith is the middle sibling, it makes so much sense about her as a person. Mm -hmm. uh, she is the middle child. Um, yeah. And so they come in for breakfast. Also, fun fact, if you know anything about, like, American society history, they mention the Astors, um, yeah. who were a big uh, family in back in the day. Um, they're probably still big somehow. I don't know too much about New York money, but I would assume there's an Astor somewhere still doing something. Oh, probably. Um, and then Sybil, who is the youngest daughter, um, walks in with a telegram for Robert. He opens it. It's bad news, clearly, because he gets up and leaves the room. Next, we go upstairs to uh, Cora and Robert's room. Uh, Cora is, as the lady of the house, Cora gets to eat her breakfast in bed. Um, so she's in bed reading her newspaper, um, talking about how tragic it is that the Titanic sunk. And Robert says he's had a telegram from George Murray, who's his lawyer, that James and Patrick were on board. Um, these are family members of Robert's, his cousins. Um, and apparently they had, they were supposed to go like a, a couple months after the Titanic left, but they changed their plans and went early. Very yeah. unfortunate for them. Yeah. And I liked, um, I didn't like, but, um, the, I, there was a line in the scene that struck me, which was, I think Cora said something like, you know, they can't have died. Like they must have made it out. Like they're important. And mm -hmm. to me, it was just like, it was so much of that rich person mentality. Like, okay, well, they're important like us. Like, they must have gotten saved. They must have gotten on yeah. the lifeboats. Like, other people died, okay, but not people that we know. Yeah, and it's also it's just, important. Yeah. yeah. Spoke that, to the, the entitlement, sort of. That is also a theme throughout. <laughs> um, uh, and it's important to mention here that O'Brien, who is Cora's lady maid, is in the room as mm -hmm. Robert is giving this information so she she heard it first um everyone and mm -hmm. she immediately goes to tell the others because she yeah. is a huge gossip um but also like so, i feel like it's kind of important for the other service this, to this know one what's is going important on. <laughs> this one is important but she is a huge gossip nonetheless okay, fair. um we cut back to downstairs and we see just footsteps and a cane then it cuts back to um Miss O'Brien, who has gone to find Anna and Gwen, they're making a bed in someone's room. She's talking about J how James and Patrick were on the Titanic. Um, and Anna and Gwen are like, oh, that's so sad. That's a shame. Uh, and O'Brien says, it's worse than a shame. It's a complication. And she then continues to explain that Mr. Crawley was his lordship's cousin and heir to the title. And Gwen's like, well, I thought Lady Mary was the heir, but Lady Mary cannot be the heir because girls cannot inherit. Um, mm -hmm. So she cannot be the Earl of Grantham. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're going to learn more about this later. Yeah. And they get back downstairs and they find the man that we saw on the train earlier. Um, and this is Mr. Bates. He says he knocked and no one came. Um, he's the new valet or valet. That means that he's uh, he's going to dress Lord Grantham. And they all kind of look at him because he's walking with a cane. Um, and they're a little confused by this. But Anna steps up and introduces herself as the head housemaid. They go take him to the room with everybody else, the servants' court hall. And Mrs. Hughes is like, how will you manage? And he's like, I can manage. Um, there are a lot of stairs in this home, it must be said. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, this is 1912, so there's, there's not, not much disability he can do. access. There's no, not, not at all. Like, it's kind of a valid question that they had, mm-hmm. but also none of them are particularly polite about it. <laughs> not at all. Um, and so Mr. Carson welcomes him. Uh, he introduces Thomas, who is the first footman and has been looking after Robert while he needed someone to dress him. Um, and Mrs. Patmore mentions the stairs. This is someone's first mention of the stairs. He's like, how will you handle it? And he says again, I can manage. And so Thomas takes him upstairs to his room and to show him all of Lord Grantham's things. And after they've left, Miss O'Brien says, well, I can't see that lasting long. (laughs) Uh, we go to the servants' quarters. Thomas takes Bates upstairs. Um, he does make a face like that's a lot of stairs um but he he climbs up all of them and he makes it up to his small little room and he says he'll be comfortable here he seems pretty happy about it um and then we cut to mary in the library robert is telling her that uh patrick and james have died and earlier when robert was talking to cora cora said you must tell mary she can't hear it from anyone else and the first thing you hear from Mary is, does this mean I'll have to go into full mourning? Um, and Robert's not happy about this, not, this reaction yeah. from her. And he's like, um, excuse me? And she's she like, says, it's very sad they died. But she's like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. I'm not mourning about that, about this other thing. <laughs> it was... Yeah. And so she's like, not about that. The other thing, it wasn't official. Apparently, she and Patrick were set up to be in- engaged, but n- there had been no like paper announcement. No one knew yeah. about it except like the family. So Robert says, um, it's up to you whether or not you'd like to mourn him as a fiance. And she goes, oh, that's a relief. Um, <laughs> this is... I have to say at this point, I texted Kara um, as I was watching this <laughs> and I said, I was just like, Kara, I think I'm a little confused. Was this girl engaged to her cousin? Um, and Carol's like, yeah, cause it's, you know, it's England in the, the 1900s. People did that to keep, you know, their wealth and their titles and stuff. And I was like, okay, good. I, yeah. I'm with it now. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding the situation. No, you were not. You were not. Um, yeah. Um, so she does end up marrying another cousin. Uh, good for her. Yeah. He's, but that cousin is a little bit further removed than I think Patrick was. Like, I think Patrick was a closer cousin. So anyway, we go back to uh, his lordship's dressing room. um, And Thomas is showing him all of the stuff, showing Bates all of the stuff and how Lord Grantham likes it. Um, And Bates looks at Lord Grantham's snuff box collection. And he's like, beautiful. And he says, funny our job, isn't it? The way we live with all this. A pirate's hoard within our reach, but none of it's ours, is it? Mm -hmm. And Thomas kind of looks at him like, no. It's not. Um, Thomas has an attitude, uh, in case you didn't notice. Yep. Uh, And then we see Thomas and Miss O'Brien meet in the hallway. They are partners in crime. Um, (laughs) They are mean together. And uh, Thomas is very annoyed that he's been passed up for the valet job um, over Mr. Bates, who he's convinced that he won't be able to do the job. And O'Brien is like, well, you didn't say anything. You did. You missed your chance. So now you have to uh, live with it and wait for next time. And then we have Robert and Cora on a walk. They're talking about Mary. 
Cora's like, this alters everything. Uh, so she wants Robert to challenge the entail, which his father put into place when Robert and Cora were married. Um, so basically, whoever inherits the estate is also not only going to get the title, but also all of Cora's money because it's wrapped up in the estate. Okay. So, so that's because like, she has daughters. So the entail was basically like, I was figuring this out through context clues, but I never heard that term before. So the entail was that kind of like, I mean, not exactly a prenup, but like a document when they got married that said like all of Cora's money is now bundled with the estate and they like signed mm-hmm. that document. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Which is, and basically the money, it would have been fine if, if Cora had had a son. Yeah, but Cora then it would has just three daughters. Like that would be yeah. good then, because then the, the, that kid would inherit everything from both sides, and that's what they wanted. But mm-hmm. she didn't have a son, so now it's a problem. Damn, I'm like, why didn't she just crank out a few more kids? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um. So <laughs> she's been unhappy about this. Carson comes out and says the Dowager Countess is in the drawing room. She's asking for Cora, not Robert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's like, all right, better go see her. Um, and Carson also tells Robert that the new valet has arrived and he's not entirely sure he'll prove equal to the task, hmm. which he doesn't say immediately. He just stands there for a second and waits for Robert to be like, what is it? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just how Carson is. Carson yeah. is so funny to me. Um, and uh, before Cora goes into the drawing room to meet the Dowager Countess, Robert says, tell her about James and Patrick. She won't have heard. The first thing out of her mouth is, of course I've heard. Yeah, she's important. Uh, She knows what's going on. Yes. So this is Violet, played by Maggie Smith. She's here, everyone. Wait, so is Uh, she Robert's mother? Yes. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So she was the Countess of Grantham before her husband died and Robert took over. which is why she now lives in a different house nearby. Mm -hmm. So then Violet says she's sad about Patrick, but she never cared for James. And she says he was too like his mother and a nastier woman never drew breath. Um, So these are the types of one-liners you're in for with uh, (laughs) Miss Violet. Um, Every line out of her mouth is just delivered so well. Maggie Smith. Um, No one can beat her. No one can Mm -hmm. beat her. Cora asks if uh, she'll stay for luncheon, and she's like, oh, yes, thank you. And Cora's like, oh, I'll tell um, Carson. And she's like, no, I already told him. Uh, Very presumptuous. This is very much a mother-in-law, daughter-in-law conversation. Their dynamic is so funny in the first season, especially. So anyway, here's where we start talking about the new heir. And this is where we learn he is Robert's third cousin once removed um so a a bit more of a distant cousin than it's kind of crazy that there's no other men in the family closer than that yeah that's that's pretty wild actually you bring up a good point um anyway so uh cora kind of brings up the entail being a little annoyed about the fact that um the old lord grantham made her sign such an immovable document Mm -hmm. um so now all her money's tied up and Violet's like, well, he didn't know you wouldn't have any sons. And she's like, well, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about Cora, she loves all her daughters. So she's very annoyed. She's like actually mad, um, yeah. especially because she was rather wealthy. So yeah, and I guess in her family, I don't I don't know the details. But like, if she's from American wealth, then like, she would have been able to inherit like, 
it wouldn't have been the mm-hmm. same male lineage thing, right? Like she could have yeah. just inherited it. And in theory, if she's used to that world, she would think that her daughters could kind of inherit yeah. her wealth too. Mm-hmm. So, kind of but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So she's like mad that this is going to leave Mary in the lurch um, because that's why Mary was going to marry Patrick because then she would still get money and get to stay in the house. But it is um, kind of because... funny that, like, she never thought about this before now, at least to me. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Violet is on Mary's side in this situation. She's on Cora's side, too. She says the entail must be snash- smashed and Mary recognized as Eretz Ball, um, which would give her the money and the estate. But it wouldn't give her the title. She cannot be the of Grantham um, yeah. as a woman still but she they just want to give her the money uh in the house and so they decide so they're going to be allies uh which according to violet is a good deal more effective than friends um yeah, i loved i liked that line it was good but yeah. okay here's here's where i didn't quite follow and maybe it was like explained at later points and i kind of missed it when they say smashing the entail what does that actually mean because like does it mean trying to avoid it as a legal document because i thought they said it was pretty ironclad like what 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 is their plan to get rid of it i think they're gonna look for what they do later is they look for loopholes okay so and they literally okay. yeah and they literally cannot find loopholes <laughs> uh which they go ask multiple people about um so Damn. read read your prenups people <laughs> ironclad ironclad document um so then we go back down to the servants hall the servants are having lunch before they serve uh the upstairs people lunch um carson is talking about how downton is a great house um everything he says is about how downton is great <laughs> um he loves his job and he says to Mr. Bates, don't feel embarrassed if he doesn't say it like this, obviously. But he's basically like, don't feel embarrassed if you get tongue-tied in front of Lord Grantham. He's so polite. He's so nice. Um, and then Robert comes downstairs to say hello to Bates. And so like everyone stands, uh, because you have to stand when someone more important than you walks into a room. Um, they all they also all stand when like Carson and Mrs. Hughes come in the room as well. Um so they stand and uh, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry for interrupting your lunch, but I just had to say hello to Bates, my former comrade in arms. So they served in a war together, which is how Bates, he already knew Bates. Um, and he like says hello to Bates and then leaves and everyone looks at Bates like, what the fuck? And he's, he simply goes, you never asked. Yeah. Um, they didn't. They didn't. They just, they all just, they were like, what the fuck? Instead of being like, how'd you get this job? They were just like, ew. Yeah. But also, can I yeah. say, he, I think they mentioned it later, but when I first heard, like, that they served in the war together, I was like, okay, like, brothers in arms, whatever. They say later on that they fought in the Boer War, which, like, yeah. I'm not, like, forgive me if I'm wrong about this, but, like, that was, like, a straight-up colonial war, right? Like, that was British people just straight-up, you know, colonizing yeah. Africa to steal things. Mm-hmm. So... No, not that any yeah. war is good but that wasn't even like defending their country <laughs> that was we are killing other people no. to take their land and their possessions yeah. just just um, throwing that out there england <laughs> Woo. um so yeah uh then they're starting to get ready for lunch now 
Thomas is like taking things upstairs. As you can see, um, you notice Daisy is a little distracted by Thomas. She has a little crush on him. I think Daisy's like 16 mm. when the series starts. So some of her actions, that explains some of her actions and the way she talks. Mm. Um, but she's like a little obsessed with Thomas. So much so to distraction, frankly. Yep. Um, and so for some reason the man that is in charge of the horses left some poison <laughs> on the kitchen table with all of the food. It's called salt of sorrel. It's something for the horse's hooves. Um, it should it not be in eaten. The kitchen? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it um, seems strange that he would put it there at all. Yeah, so, so Mrs. Patmore tells Daisy, put this away. This should not be here. Um, and she doesn't leave immediately because Thomas comes back. So she decides to stare at Thomas some more. Um, and she, but then someone forgot the egg to go on top of the chicken. So, uh, Mrs. Patmore is like, give this to William. So she takes that container and goes. Then we see that they're preparing lunch after the memorial service that they had for James and Patrick, um, since like, they were part of the village. Um, they're mourning them. They couldn't find bodies because it was the Titanic. Um, and But they did find bodies in Canada. Robert's, Robert and George Murray, his lawyer, are talking about this as they walk back from the church. Um, the sisters all walk together. As you can see, Edith looks the saddest. Mm -hmm. um, Mary does not look affected. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Murray talks a little bit more about the new heir. His name is Matthew Crawley. He's a solicitor based in Manchester. He lives with his mother and his deceased father was a doctor. And uh, Robert says, strange that my third cousin should be a doctor which was so and... funny to me like a doctor is like not a respectable profession in his yeah, eyes and that's why and that's why murray looks at him and goes there are worse professions um you will never meet a snobbier person than robert crawley frankly i feel like everyone thinks mary's the snob but where did she get it from her father yeah um, he, well he mentions later in the episode like he like he's like my whole job and my whole life has been like maintaining this estate so he's basically a snobby little housewife like yeah that's basically he, he is, is literally when he talks about Downton that way it cracks me up um anyway uh, then we go back downstairs and Daisy says to William, please sprinkle this egg on the chicken. Um, then it cuts back to outside and Murray says they have to talk about the entail. Um, and Robert's like, is there any way to detach it from the estate? Which is what, mm -hmm. what smashing the entail means. Yeah. And Murray's like, it seems unbreakable. So one lawyer has already said it is not possible. <laughs> um, and then we see Edith crying still, and Mary is like, why are you putting on such an exhibition? And Edith is like, you should be ashamed that you're not so upset. You should be acting this upset. You were engaged to him. Uh, and Sybil, who is the youngest, is trying to keep the peace. These are like very quick scenes that very immediately establish the sister dynamic between these three. Then we go back downstairs, and Daisy realizes that she has given the poison to William instead of the egg Aww. and so she's freaking out she's freaking out and she's like oh my god I'm going to be hanged uh because I poisoned the family and I feel like and... I didn't I didn't get this when I was watching before but now that you pointed out like Daisy's not supposed to go out there and be seen 
by the other. Mm -hmm. So I was like, why doesn't she just run up there and fix it? But like, she has been yelled at already. So she can't go out there and fix it. So she was like asking someone else, can you go get William for me? And Gwen is like, I don't have time. Yeah. All these other people are like, what's wrong with you? What happened? (laughs) Yeah. And William comes back downstairs and is like, Daisy, which chicken is it? And Daisy is like, oh my God, I'm saved hands him the right bowl and tells him which yeah. chicken it is and so now no one was poisoned um that's great <laughs> um and then we see they finally get back to the house and cora invites murray the lawyer inside he's like no i have to go um i have to go right now and Cora's actually shocked and like you can tell she's a little mad mm-hmm. because she's like you don't have anything to talk about they've talked about it yeah. like there's nothing he can do he says yeah um we go into uh, Carson's office. Mrs. Hughes comes in to check on check with him. Um, Mrs. Hughes likes to act like she's above gossip, but the only person she gossips with is Carson. Mm-hmm. Um, so they act like they they must have decorum around the others because they're in charge, but they gossip together. It's very you cute. To. You gotta. Um, so they still, they are not above gossip either. They, he's basically talking about the lawyer is gone. He didn't stay for dinner. I mean, lunch. Um, and Carson is, this is where you see Carson is very attached to the Crawleys. He's like, um, saying he hates what this is, that the state's going to go away from their family. And Mrs. Hughes is like, they're not your family. And he's like, well, they're all the family I've got. Uh, and they have like a moment where there's sometimes the servants have these wistful moments Mm -hmm. where they were like, what would happen if we had done something different? Like, would we have a family, kids, like if we'd had a normal job? Cause this isn't, this is like a good job to have. It's like great job security. You have a place to stay, but like it's you, it's your whole life. You yeah. have to do everything mm-hmm. for these rich people constantly. And you can't like take days off. You can't like do other shit. Um, yeah. It's yeah. It's crazy. And I, I like that they kind of, were really infusing the servant's perspective throughout the first episode. Mm-hmm. I think that they struck a really good balance there um, of like, yeah, like not just the comedy of like, oh, these rich people are demanding and the servant's job is hard, but they also kind of got into that little, that weird relationship of like mm-hmm. servitude, even though they're paid, yeah. it's it's kind of weird. And I would say, I would say it, the way that this is structured, I would say the Crawleys are decent, decent employers, like as decent as they can be. Mm-hmm. Like they could definitely be working in a worse house yeah. because like they do get some days off and like they sometimes you'll see like the servants go home to visit their families yeah. um, if they're like the younger ones, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they like do get that time and like p- they they like they have it good in a way but it's also sad to think they're like also thinking about what could we have had if we had done something like yeah more normal um a little bit different so yeah then uh we cut to uh thomas out in the village uh since no one was around and he didn't have anything to do he's off doing something he had a little bit he had like a little bit of a break um then we have Cora is in her room with her tea um, and Miss O'Brien. This is what Miss O'Brien does. Since she is the lady's maid, <laughs> she sometimes like plants thoughts into Cora's ear mm-hmm. to make it seem like they were Cora's idea first. So she's like, you know, oh, it's so terrible that they're taking your fortune away, my lady. 
And then Cora's like, yeah, it sucks. And she goes, how are things with Bates? And O'Brien is like, oh, I worry about him, milady. I don't know that he can do his job, milady. Yeah, and Um, she, like, disguises it as this perfect little concern when, like, really what she's Mm -hmm. trying to do is, like, make sure this guy gets fired. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, no. Um, Very conniving. Uh, Yeah. And then we see a scene of Robert and Bates in the library. He's asking how Bates is settling in. Um, he asks if the house has worn him out or not, which Bates kind of evades an answer to that particular question because the house clearly yeah. is wearing him out. You can tell. Yeah. Um, and he talks a little bit about how it was like, he. so Robert didn't know about the cane yeah. um, uh, when he applied to the job. So he mentions that, you know, his knee had been bothering him like a piece of like shrapnel from a bullet like was still in there and it moved and that's why he walks with a cane and he says that it won't be too much for him he can do the job um thomas comes back from town he sits with o'brien uh he was sending a telegram he says um she gives him the tea about Bates and also about uh the money and the lawyer um and they're starting to talk they are scheming um because they know because the reason that thomas liked being uh lord grantham's valet so much was because that's where you get the information the servants who are like dressing you they the they trust those servants and will just say whatever so it's a good thing to have and he knows bates isn't gonna say anything because he already knew lord grantham and he's a loyal dude yeah um and also he's like i mean at least i got the sense if he felt like that would have been a promotion and it should have been my promotion because I've been working here longer mm-hmm. and I was doing it to fill yeah. in. So he feels kind of yes. like he was supposed to be owed that position. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, so now they have to figure out a way to get rid of Bates. Um, and they're like, what What can we do besides like get him caught for stealing? Because um, if you steal, you're out. <laughs> uh, but um, they don't really know yet, but they are going to come up with a plan. Um, then we're in Mary's room. All the girls are getting ready for dinner. Anna always helps them. More talk about Bates. Uh, everyone's talking about Bates. It's yeah. like the only point of conversation besides Mary's money. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Mary starts to complain about hating Black. Um, and Sybil, Sybil always looking on the bright side, we can go into half mourning next month. Um, <laughs> um, which means like gray and stuff. Uh, so... That's a little bit exciting, but also still very sad. Wait, so um, I didn't process that before. They have to do a full month of all black mourning for a cousin? I guess so. That's a lot. Yeah, so it's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Um, and then uh, Mary and Edith, as always, they get into it again because Edith is like, you should be sadder. Um, why aren't you sad? And Mary is like, I was only going to marry Patrick if nothing better came up. But you would have taken him, Edith, wouldn't you? And Edith was like, yes, I would have. Um, So they're like in a fight about this. Edith actually liked Patrick, unlike Mary, who did not care. Um, And then we go um, back downstairs. Thomas is planting bad thoughts about Bates into Carson's head. He's like, how is it fair that William is going to get more work because, um, so apparently when you're a valet, one of your other duties is that when there's a big dinner party, you also wait at table. Bates cannot wait at table. Mm -hmm. Um, 
uh, when he uses one hand for his cane. Yeah. Um, so and he's like, I don't want the house to fall into disarray, which is exactly what Carson doesn't want either. So mm-hmm. Thomas and O'Brien are master manipulators. Yeah. Um, they were really going around just turning everybody against Bates. Like the definition of gaslight you keep girl boss um <laughs> and then we go back into mary's room she's a little she looks a little sad and pensive and sybil asks if, if she's all right she comes to comfort her she's like i know you're sad and mary is like but i'm not as sad as i should be and that's why i'm sad mm. and then we see more people getting dressed um bates is helping robert um he drops something and robert's like i'll get it um it's like that the awkward thing and Bates is like no I've got it it's very awkward and Bates says again I won't let you down and then uh you see Miss O'Brien helping Cora get dressed and she finally leaves sometimes they will wait to talk until O'Brien leaves because they know O'Brien is a gossip um like they're not stupid Cora starts to talk about Bates planting in Robert's head he's been causing awkwardness downstairs and Robert is like well o'brien is always causing trouble so i'm not i'm gonna take what she says with a grain of salt um and she starts talking about how at war you must form the most terrific bonds even with a servant um there's a little bit of chorus snob showing uh but uh she never she is never as snobby as the others i would like to point out um she and sybil are the least snobby of the group Cora's like, I know you want to help him, but is this really the right way? Which Putting him at a job he can't do. It's kind of a fair point. Yes. Um, but the way they all go about yeah. it is wrong. It's like, yeah, you know, it's very like ableist. I mean, they didn't have yes. that term back in 1912, but like, mm-hmm. you know, they're the, the attitude is very much like, well, we got to just get rid of him. Instead of like, yeah. how could we make this work? Because he's a human person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Violet came for dinner today. Um, she has another comment about electricity. This one also killed me. <laughs> um, she says, it feels like I'm on stage at the gaiety. Um, and she talks about how she couldn't have electricity in the house. Because Robert's been like, you want me to put electricity in your in your house? And she's like, no, because of there are vapors and I'll die. Um, so that's how they are about electricity at this point in time. Um, she also has another great line about uh, the entail and stuff. And she's like, what? She doesn't understand why Robert is so intent on just giving up on the entail and she says if you're giving this money away now what was the point of your peculiar marriage in the first place um she doesn't under she never understood why robert married Mm. cora um she did not approve which is you can kind of tell they have like a tense relationship Mm -hmm. uh cora and violet um and she then asks don't you care about downton and this is the first time that robert talks about the house like it is his that house is his entire life like um and that's how he talks about it he says i've given my life to downton i was born here and i wish to die and he also said something i forget exactly what the wording was but he said something along the lines of like it's my second wife and my fourth child (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i love this monologue it because like this it like really strikes the theme and the central stake of the show because like to me watching Mm -hmm. like I'm coming from the perspective of like, oh my God, these rich people, why do they care so much about this? Like, but you know, this tells you from his perspective why it's so important. 
And you know, it makes me care for his sake too. Like it's, it's just a house, but like, it really is. He's, he's given his whole life to this one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think it's really good. I feel like we've talked about with other pilots, how sometimes there's like this one scene or like this one monologue that kind of like hits like the, the theme or like the stake of the show. And I felt like that was the moment here where I was like, oh, this Mm -hmm. is why it's called Downton Abbey. And this is why it's about Downton Abbey. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, it might not it doesn't seem like life and death to us but to him it literally is life and death which is why this moment's so important because like you know you have to be able to understand like if it's okay if characters feel and think things that are not directly relatable to the audience but you just have to show the audience this is why they feel that way exactly there's some more awkwardness with Bates in the servants hall um Gwen asks if he can, like, pick up a tray and hand it to her, and he starts to pick it up, but his knees, he, like, gets, like, a pain in his knee, so he drops it, and then it's, like, it goes dead silent, and everyone's just kind of, like, picking things up. They're not sure what to do, and it's, oh, um, yeah, that scene, um, and then they're, you know, cleaning up after dinner, um, and, O'Brien, who literally has no business being upstairs, she just came upstairs to gossip with Thomas, comes in and uh, tells Thomas that Cora has spoken to Robert about Bates. Um, And Anna looks at both of them. It's like a running joke with the servants that Thomas and O'Brien are always scheming. So she's like, well, while you two plot, I'm going to eat dinner. Then some time has passed. This is not clear. But like, a, a, like a, this is at least a couple of weeks, I would say. And then some more time passes, they just never say. But the only reason we know this is because in this next scene at the Dower House, Violet and Cora are sitting together. And Cora has gotten a letter from the Duke of Crowborough, who's asking to stay. Um, uh, he's a potential suitor for Mary. And Violet's like, well, he obviously thinks that Mary's prospects have changed. Um <laughs> But she says that their duty is to marry. And she says, you can still tell him to come, but give the Duke a date for when Mary's out of mourning because no one wants to kiss a girl in black. Yeah. And that is really the only reason you know time has passed. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it's been, it's probably been a couple of months. So I would say it's a couple of months when the Duke finally comes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really clear. Yeah, they could have made uh, it a little more obvious. Like, I got it, but they could have made it a little mm-hmm. more obvious with, like, maybe not, like, a montage, but, like, I don't know, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, And to me, I realized, I finally realized this is why this pilot feels so long, is because it takes place over a few months. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because, like, in order to tie up the story arcs that they needed to tell in this pilot, they needed to cover that much time. Mm-hmm. So, like, I do think it makes sense, but, like, I, something else that I've... we I don't know if we've talked about this with other pilots, but, like, a lot of times the conventional wisdom is to try and get your story or your screenplay into whatever the shortest time frame possible is because then it just kind of feels yeah. more urgency. But, like, they, they kind of needed the time skip here. Um yeah to yeah um so you know it's now time the duke is coming today Ooh, a duke at downton (laughs) um uh sybil puts a flower in mary's hair and mary's like looking in the mirror primping and edith is annoyed um and cora comes to get them and she does pluck the flower out of mary's hair she's like don't showboat don't do that um 
And then Carson is prepping all of the servants because um, the, a thing they do when guests arrive is they have the servant, servants stand in a line mm-hmm. to like show how important they are. Yeah. Um, and he's like, all right, everyone ready to go outside? And Daisy's like, even me, Mr. Carson. And he's like, no, Daisy, not you. Oh, um, Daisy. So sad. Um, I, Daisy really grew on me yeah. as I now think about the whole thing. Um Anyway, Bates says he'd like to go too. And Carson is like, well, you're a valet. You don't have to. He's like, no, but I want to. <laughs> um, uh, so he goes outside. Um, they come out. So outside the car comes around. The Duke of Quarlborough gets out. I would like to mention that this is Charlie Cox. Yeah, it um, took me a minute. And let me tell you. So this is the first thing I ever saw Charlie Cox in. So when I started watching Daredevil, like the Netflix Daredevil, um, yes, this is my plug for the Marvel Daredevil series. It is the best one of the Netflix ones they did, and they moved it to Disney Plus if you would like to watch it. This is my plug. Anyway, this I was watching Daredevil and I was looking, I was like, this man looks so, so familiar to me. And I couldn't place him. And I was like, he was probably on Downton Abbey, which is usually what <laughs> I think when I see like a man. Um, I don't think he, I realized he was British. I Googled him. And I was like, oh, that guy. Um, That was also, sidebar, my experience in London when I studied abroad was me going to shows, looking at like someone acting in a show and thinking to myself, they look really familiar. And then I would Google them and they would have been in like one or two random episodes of Downton Abbey. That is how well I know this show. Downton Abbey for British actors is like law and order for American actors. Everybody has been on it. Yeah, no, there are so many characters that you really can say that. There are so many characters. Um, so yeah, uh, the Duke of Crowborough, Charlie Cox, is here. He's gre- Everyone's greeting him. Cora uh, introduces him to the daughters. The Duke is like, oh, my man is sick, His the man who dresses him. And uh, Carson gets all excited because he's like, I would happily dr- dress, serve you, my lord. And no, he's like, no, I don't want to put you out. You're the butler. Um, and he looks at Thomas and he goes, I remember you. You helped me that other time in London. And Thomas is like, yes, your grace. Um, Listen, I technically, I did know that Thomas was gay just because because we did a little, we did a little thing for Pride Month on social media where we were like shouting out some of our favorite characters that are queer um and Kara Kara suggested Thomas so that's the only reason I knew he was gay but even without that I think I would have flagged this moment as a little gay <laughs> yeah you're right you're right um uh and had so some meaningful like, eye contact there it was they really did which is funny because me and back in 2012 when I watched this for the first time this bit went completely over my head. Um, I kind of wish I hadn't known, though, because I would have laughed at it and been like, haha, that's a little gay. And then later on, I would have been like, whoa. <laughs> that would have been funny. That would have been yeah. funny. Um, anyway, um, so then they all taught. So Thomas is going to help out the Duke. Hmm. And uh, then as they're all going inside, O'Brien is kind of like eyeing Bates, like giving him the side eye. And then she trips him. I missed that she tripped him. I didn't. He falls flat on his face. Yeah, that's, I I didn't catch that she did it. I thought he just fell the first time and like, wow, that's really bitchy. She is simply the worst. Like, 
Yeah, no, she's the worst. I feel like Thomas is also bad, but O'Brien is just... Like, that's Ugh. just awful. Because, like, girl, if you hadn't done that, he still would have... He was already having trouble. You didn't have to further yeah. humiliate him. Like, Yeah, it's terrible. And then... So everyone is, like, leaving, and Anna helps Bates up, and he's like, don't feel sorry for me. He's like, he can't take pity. Yeah. Um, and Anna, frankly, Anna's the only one who's being nice to him. Um, and so then they get inside. Mary is hanging out with the Duke. Um, she asks him what he would like to do, and he says he wants to explore the house. Um, and she's like, what do you want to see? And he's like, the secret passages and attics. Mm. <laughs> so... Mary is like, that's weird, but okay, I yeah, guess. Yeah, and it seems um, like this whole thing, this all makes so much more sense when you get to the end of the pilot, and I liked that. I liked that yeah. reveal, but, like, it seems mm-hmm. like he's just being flirty, you know? He's like, let's yeah. get away from, like, everyone else. Yeah, because when Mary's like, oh, I'll tell my mother, and he's like, no, don't tell your mama, and she's like, huh? He's like, I don't want the others to join us, Um, so... Uh, then Mary's like, ooh, he's flirting with me. Um, so then we go to the drawing room, and Robert says to Cora to not let Mary make a fool of herself. And frankly, she's not going to, because this man don't want her. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't know that. But um, anyway, he says he's going to London. And Cora's like, it, are things progressing? And he says, I am not going to London for that. It is a regimental dinner. Um, and then Cora goes, it's a pity that Bates spoiled the afternoon, um, because he fell, he was tripped. Um, they don't know that. They just saw him fall. Um, and, uh, she's like, I, that was terrible for Carson. And Robert says, I don't care what Carson thinks right as Carson comes into the room. (laughs) Um, terrible. Um, I feel like the, the emotional turmoil that Carson goes through sometimes is not talked about enough yeah, because like he, he would lay down it. his life for these people yeah he's because he's not being as much of a little bitch about it as some of the others yeah. are he's just kind of holding it mm-hmm. inside yeah he would lay down his life for these people like actually um but they're rude to him yeah. so kind of sucks um anyway then Robert like asks about Bates is Carson is still unhappy about it. Um, anyway, now we're upstairs in the servants' quarters area, and uh, Mary's like, this is the first time we're alone. And he's like, have you forgotten, like, some other party they were at, light flirting? Um, and it, But Mary's like, well, it's different this time because we really don't have a chaperone. Um, and so uh, he starts, so they go through to the men's quarters, um, they were on the women's side, and there's a lock on the women's side of the quarters that only Mrs. Hughes is allowed to turn. And the Duke says, Mrs. Hughes and you, because yeah. it's her house. Yeah. Um, and so they go in, and the man starts opening doors. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? I will say, this uh, is a, I think this is a well-crafted kind of scene and story arc, because like when I was watching it, I was like, this is weird. Like This this guy's being weird, but I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know exactly where it was going. But like it was obviously weird, because he was going mm-hmm. into people's individual quarters, and then the other weird thing was what happens next. So, so Bates comes upstairs, and like it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, we're spotted, like, hide. And he, so the the duke he ducks into one of the rooms and shuts the door for a few Mm -hmm. seconds 
Um, and I was like, oh, yeah. he's hiding because they don't want to be caught together. But then a few seconds later, he comes back out. And so mm-hmm. I was like, huh, if he was hiding, yeah. wouldn't he have waited until Bates was gone? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And this is and this is terrible because Bates is like opens his door. He's like, would you like to check my room? Yeah. Too? uh and mary's like i'm so sorry we're leaving was smart he knew something was up and Mm -hmm. i kind of wish that he had i don't know been able to like tell somebody or like get some credit for that because like he could have like he he knew something was up you do learn later on that bates is not one to be fucked with yeah um i was getting that sense don't try i could see it in his eyes i was like (laughs) he wants to make this man pay for whatever he's doing also he's seen some shit like not even not war i'm not talking about the war i'm talking about his other life the reason Mm -hmm. why he keeps being like i must work Mm -hmm. this has to work out is because later on you learn that he's had a terrible life. Um, so don't fuck with him. Yeah. Um, his life only gets worse. I would... That's it's sad. terrible. Anyway. Um, and the Duke, like, looks at Mary after they get back to the other side and is like, why did you apologize to that man? It's not his business. And she says, I always apologize when I'm in the wrong. It's a habit of mine. Um, I <laughs> mean... A thing that a normal sane person should do. <laughs> yeah. Like, Mary is awful and rude. But she, and she is not always one to admit when she's wrong, but she, she does get embarrassed yeah. at least. I, I will give her that. Um, that was embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, then we cut back to another, more bits about Bates where um, Carson and Robert are talking and uh, Carson is like, he cannot perform the other duties. Like we may have to have a maid in the dining room. And Robert's like, chill. That's not a big deal. And he said, it is a big deal to me. It is a big deal to Carson um, about having a maid in the dining room. He says the honor of Downton is at stake. Which that and I feel like, through. Yeah, that um, does get through. But the th- funny thing to me is like, again, as someone who like didn't grow up in this rich person world with all these servants, like it's it's wild to me of like, it's okay for some servants to be seen, but not admit, like, I guess I don't even understand like all the different levels of like, I get that they do different jobs, but like, it's funny to me that mm-hmm. like, it's okay to see like a valet in the dining room, but a maid, yeah, you can see some and it's servants, also... but not others. And then we, I feel like I forgot to mention that throughout this whole episode, Thomas has been like being rude to William. So Thomas and William are the two footmen. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas's first footman because he's been there for longer. He's a little older. He has seniority. I would say William is probably closer in age to Daisy than anyone else. Like maybe like 17, 18 or whatever. He's, um, and he, he's been having a tough time and Mrs. Hughes looks out for William and he can tell he's a little sad and he's like, you shouldn't let Thomas take advantage of you. Um, because Thomas was giving him extra work to do, um, that's the other thing about Thomas is a little lazy at times. Uh, and so he does just throw all the tasks to William. Um, and William's like, no, it's okay. It takes my mind off of things. And he's been homesick. And Mrs. Hughes is like, there's no shame in that. You, It means you come from a happy home, um, which is nice. And we do actually meet, um, not William's mother, but we do meet his father later on. He's a sweet little man. Mm-hmm. He owns a farm. Um, anyway, uh, then we 
it is time for everyone to get dressed for dinner. And so this is where Robert has to fire Bates and he clearly feels bad about it. Um, and they start kind of talking and he's like, I said, I'd give you this trial period, but I don't know how it's working out. And Bates says, if this is about not being able to wait at table, I've come up with a solution. When there's a large party, you can dock my pay. And Robert's like, no, no, I don't want to do that to you. And Bates is like, I'm eager to stay. I really, it's really unlikely that I'll find another position. Yeah. Um, and Robert is like, I want to help in any way I can. And Bates is like, I will only take wages for a job done. Um, but eventually he settles on uh, having a month's wages. And he's like, I'm sorry, this couldn't work out. Um, it's very sad. Yeah. Um, next, we are at dinner. The Duke is there having dinner, family dinner with them. Um, and Cora apologizes for him being outnumbered because normally when you have a guest, you try and invite some other people mm -hmm. of the same gender so that they are less outnumbered at the dinner table. But there's just a lot of women <laughs> in this family and it couldn't be helped. Yep. Um, and so Edith asks to the entire table. And also this is while thomas carson and william are serving them dinner um that is actually important to note edith goes why were you in the addicts earlier mary um when i talk about edith the edith that i mentioned in dickinson is nothing like edith was, I was originally i was gonna bring up actually since you brought up edith in our dickinson episode i was gonna say now based on this you were comparing edith to emily dickinson because of the writer stuff but based on her personality mm -hmm. in this episode i was like she reminds me so much of lavinia <laughs> from dickinson yeah, no she's like the shit stirrer has... and like she's a little jealous because mm -hmm. like i mean i was getting the sense that she wishes she could be kind of having suitors right now yeah. a little bit um so mm -hmm. that also reminded me of lavinia um and it's a little different because they do have a third sister younger but like the sisterly dynamic was similar. Yeah. edith has the biggest middle child energy of a character i have ever seen frankly <laughs> she just has a really good character arc frankly edith ends up becoming one of my favorite characters of the series um but in the beginning she's always mad she's jealous um, everyone prefers Mary and Sybil to her because Sybil is nice and Mary is pretty. Um, mm -hmm. And Edith is a little homely at the start. Mm -hmm. um, they start dressing her better a couple seasons in, and it's like <laughs> a mountain of change, um, <laughs> frankly. Uh, anyway, Edith continues to be like, why were you in the attics? Why were you in the attics? Like, why, why are you being a snitch? Because um, it's all anyway, she can. Like, what else is she going to do? I don't blame her. Yeah. Robert is like, what were you doing in the attics? As they've tried to change the topic yeah. of conversation. And Mary says, we were just looking around. And Edith is like, but what is there to look at up there? And they, someone finally stops her and is like, oh my God, Edith, shut up. Um, but don't be such a chatterbox, yeah. Edith. But like, um, she had a good point. Why she did were have they a in good the attic? Point. And I feel like, I don't remember super well, but I feel like there was maybe a moment from Mary there where she actually started, mm -hmm. like she was trying to explain it. And then she was like, huh, why were we in she the She didn't attic? have a good explanation. <laughs> and then you see the camera also cuts to like Carson and Thomas yeah. both being like, huh? Yeah. Um, because they're like, that's weird. That's where we um, sleep. Thomas seems more alarmed. Yep. Um, with good reason. Yeah. We will learn in a minute. Yep. Um, so... The servants are waiting for their dinner, and Daisy's very excited that maybe they'll have a duchess to wait on because everyone thinks that the Duke is here, and the Duke also kind of made it seem like he was interested 
in marrying Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's here. They're like, oh my God, this man's going to propose on this trip probably like you don't come to stay at someone's house saying i would like to meet with your daughter i love how i like did this like i'm texting (laughs) Um, typing something out like with her thumbs in midair right now (laughs) yeah he just fired off a quick text to uh to downton (laughs) carson throws out the word heiress and everyone's like oh is she gonna get the money and he's like nothing's been decided but i just know in my heart that everything good will come to lady mary lady mary is his favorite Mm -hmm. so he mary carson is like mary's second dad Mm -hmm. like if we're being real um carson raised her a little bit um and so uh anna has a tray and she says she'd like to bring it up to mr bates and they're like you know uh that's nice of you you can go ahead and do that um and carson says to the room Miss Bates is leaving without a stain on his character, so everyone take note. And William chimes in. He's like, I don't mind the extra work. I don't care. And Thomas is like, it's not up to you. Yeah. Um, bitch. Yeah. Oh, he's so, they're so mean to William. Like, it hurts my feelings. Um, so Anna goes upstairs with the tray, and she, Bates's door is a little bit open, um, so she can, like, hear him crying. So she, like, steps back. So she can like give him a second to collect himself and she called out, which was very polite. Um, I wouldn't know what to do in that situation either. I would probably do something <laughs> similar. Yeah. Um, and he uh thanks her for the food and she says that she's sorry he's leaving and to let them know when he settled so she won't worry. Um, it's a nice little moment between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we go back to the dining room. Uh the women have gone into the drawing room and the men this is a custom where the men stay and they drink port mm-hmm. and sometimes they smoke a cigar. And so they're talking and the Duke says he has something to ask. And first he goes, I'm sorry about your cousins. Um, and Robert's like, uh, yeah. Um, and then the Duke is like, Well, I'm sure that Lady Mary's prospects have improved. They have not. Mm-hmm. Um and Robert is like, well, I don't intend on fighting the entail, if that's what you mean. And the Duke is baffled by this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Duke did maybe want to marry Mary, but he, Only if Mary isn't money. going to inherit, he cannot marry her. Yeah. Um, he was looking for an heiress. So then Robert is mad because he's like, you have led everyone on. What on earth are you doing here? And he said, I came to say sorry for your cousins. You could have just sent a letter shut the fuck up yeah um you could have sent a letter like everyone else there was also there was another moment where he was like you said there was some other reason you wanted to stay after and talk to me and then he was just like i forgot what i was gonna say he's like he's like once he found out mary had no money like because then robert starts to bring up oh but don't worry mary will still have like because there is money for Mm -hmm. the girls like their dowry yeah Um, but it's not there is it's not as nice as what Cora's money that was tied up with the estate is so he's annoyed because that's what he he was was looking for I feel I need to add he was a little smug while giving this rejection like a little like I'm better than you like I'm not gonna marry her what a dick yeah um there are some terrible characters on this show um there are ones that are far worse than this guy, but like every time I rewatch this, he grinds my gears more and more. And I think maybe it's just because as I get older and like, I don't really date, but like, as I like, I've like, you've just met people like this yeah. in the world who just suck. Yep. And you're like, like, no, everything they say is just awful. Yep. Um, 
he's one of those yeah. and so i think that's why more and more as i watch he's in this one episode i hate him yeah um anyway so they leave the dining room um and mary is standing in the foyer waiting for the duke and he starts to go upstairs and she's like oh you're not coming into the drawing room he's like i'm tired please make my excuses to your mother and mary's like oh well tomorrow weekend i'm leaving in the morning um he cuts her off and he goes upstairs then edith appears from the shadows and she goes so he slipped the hook and mary says at least i'm not fishing with no bait um terrible they are so terrible to each other um but i love their comebacks to each other they they just it's like you can talk to a sister like that Mm -hmm. yeah but they actually kind of hate each other at this point in time (laughs) so it's not like playful ribbing it is i do not like you um yeah um and now we are in a guest room uh thomas and the duke are there um the duke gives thomas the tea um, about the entail says that Robert's not planning on challenging it and the Duke says that thank you to Thomas for contacting him that's what Thomas went to the village to do mm-hmm. earlier everyone it was not for no reason mm-hmm. um there are a lot of random little quick scenes in this pilot that you're like why is that yeah. there they all get explained yeah um anyway so Thomas asks him what now um, I should also like to note that Thomas is, like, having a drink with this dude. Oh, yeah. Like, it's clearly more intimate than any of mm-hmm. other servant relationships, even at this moment. Yeah. Um. So Thomas says, what about me? Uh, so what now? And Duke is like, I have to find an heiress. And Thomas says, what about me? And the Duke says, you will wish me well. And Thomas is like, I want to be a valet. And the Duke's like, well, I don't need one of those. Um, and then Thomas sits down on the bed next to the Duke. Um, and he says he wants to, he wants to be with him and then they kiss. Yeah. And I, Uh like I said, even though I flagged the, the gayness a little, the gay vibe a little earlier, I was not expecting a full on kiss in the first episode. So like respect for this show for not, you know, tiptoeing around it and also for doing something interesting like that. Cause I, in not all period pieces, obviously, but I feel like sometimes in period pieces, they like hold back from doing stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. they're like, you know, well, you know, back in that time period, they couldn't. But, like, obviously gay people existed back then. And, you know, so... And they were doing stuff. They were doing stuff. And, like, maybe that obviously they weren't getting married and stuff. But, like, they were still mm-hmm. doing stuff. So I appreciate that, like, they did, they were, you know, even making it clear from the pilot of, like, you know, we're, we're not just going to focus on, like, the little public, quote-unquote, public historically accurate kind of things. We're also going to have, like, other interesting character relationships. So... Yeah. And this is the way they would have done it back then, where it's like, if you were, if you were a man hooking up with another man in this particular scenario, you would, the the way to cover it up would be if you worked for him. He's trying to get back with this dude. Yeah, and for, um, a, for a second here, I felt a little bit for the Duke. Because I was like, oh, if he's gay and he loves this man, and that's why he, you know, he's not going to enter into a marriage unless he, like, really needs to financially. I was like, okay, I understand. But then the very next things he says and does, I was like, no. <laughs> this man. So, like, Thomas is clearly much more into the Duke than the Duke is into him. Mm-hmm. And he's like... The Duke is like, you have to know, this was never going to work. He says, and this, he says it, and one swallow doesn't make a summer. And when I tell you. (laughs) 
I like I heard that and then I replayed it. I was like, is this like a saying? Is this like some sort of metaphor where he's talking about a swallow like a bird? I don't think he was. No, what a crazy thing to say. What a crazy thing to say in a period. Again, I appreciated that because like I feel like sometimes some period dramas like hold back from stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But wow. That is another sentence that went over my head when I was 15, but then rewatching it and being like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, That line could be from like fucking euphoria. (laughs) Yeah, my word. Um, Thomas is uh, obviously angry um, at the Duke saying that because my word, once again, um, and he gets up from the bed and he's like, aren't you forgetting something? And the Duke laughs. He's like, are you threatening me? Um, no one's going to believe a footman over a Duke. Yep. And Thomas says, but I've got proof. And the Duke goes, you mean these? <laughs> and pulls the letters out. The letters, which is why he was in Thomas's mm-hmm. room earlier. And why he closed he, the door. Yep. He was fishing for the letters in Thomas's things. And Thomas sees them. And the Duke throws them into the fire. Yep. Uh, so the letter is no longer, they are no more. And he says, uh, I will never put anything in writing again, thanks to you. Oh. Uh, ooh. Ooh. God. Um, and he says, don't be a bad loser, Thomas. Go to bed, unless you want to stay. Yeah. I, he was a total fuck. This was, uh, I was, Kara came home while I was watching this in my room and I said out loud, oh, you're a fuck boy. <laughs> I start. That? I was like putting my groceries away and I heard her say that and I started laughing because um, I, okay. I knew exactly Here's where she was. I do feel the need to add like the hypothetical thought that Thomas was gonna out the Duke. That's also not a super cool thing to do. Thomas yeah. is not really a great person either, but mm-hmm. I think it's the power dynamic of like, we know the duke has the ultimate power in this relationship and like mm-hmm. he is always going to come out of it fine and thomas is not going to and so i don't necessarily love thomas based on this episode yeah. but the duke is way fucking worse oh oh he makes me angry um like literally like i cannot Ooh. okay anyway <laughs> um that scene's over thomas leaves very defeated and sad and this is like a huge shift because you've just seen Thomas be like shady and rude mm-hmm. to everyone. And now you see him crying yeah. and you're like, oh, that's a little sad. Yeah. Um, Thomas is a very sad man. Uh, doesn't excuse his behavior, mm-hmm. but he is a very sad man. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, uh, so then we go downstairs. We're in Mrs. Hughes's office and Carson says he's going to turn in. And they do a little bit of gossiping about the fact that the Duke is leaving. They're annoyed um, at the Duke for his intentions were gross. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we go to the master bedroom. Uh, I would like to point out that it is um, not normal. Robert and Cora sleep in the same bed, which at this time is actually not really a normal thing. Mm -hmm. They would have had separate rooms usually. They just really like each other. so anyway they're talking um and robert finally says to cora i can't ruin the estate even for mary and cora is like i don't understand i don't get it like it's mary um you know and robert is like yeah i know it's mary but the estate downton and he starts talking about it the same way he was talking about it before um 
And Robert is like, do you think Mary would have been happy with Fortune Hunter? And Cora says that she was, um, because yeah. he did not, he says that he did not fall in love with her. Um, until like, like a year. Until they were already married. Yeah, um, which I found really interesting. Like, I, I guess this pilot wasn't so much about their relationship, but like, I hadn't really thought about it until this mm-hmm. moment. But then I was like, that is really interesting of like, uh, they both know that they got married for this superficial reason but that they still yeah they did fall in love afterwards robert does some crazy things though that never get acknowledged and i still have beef with him about them (laughs) um but he does love this woman yeah i will say that Hmm. um anyway it's the next morning um the duke is leaving and carson asks if uh bates can ride in the car with the duke to the train station like can he sit up front with the chauffeur and Robert is like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care what the Duke thinks. Yeah. Because um, he's mad. Fuck him. Uh, <laughs> basically. And then, this is so sad. We see Bates looking at Downton one last time. Uh, just kind of looking wistful because he has to leave. And then Cora and Robert see the Duke out. Um, Robert says goodbye to Bates. And he says he wishes it could have worked. So, you know, Bates gets in the car. The car starts to drive away. And Robert is looking at the car so mad. And then he's like, wait a second. And he runs after the car and tells them to stop. <laughs> and tells Bates moment. to get out. Yeah. <laughs> um, he he like loves this man, too. Um, and so... He tells him to get out of the car um, and he can stay and we'll say no more about this. Um, He looks at Carson and he says, it wasn't right. Um, Mm -hmm. It wasn't. There were no really like disability rights activists back then. I mean, mean, sure there were, but there were like no like. They weren't taken that seriously. Yeah. There were Mm -hmm. no laws about it. Yes. So, so, so Robert's like, this was wrong. Yeah. Um, and we should not have handled it that way. Yeah. So Bates is all right for now. And then we have our very last scene. Um, these are two people we have not met yet. Um, we are in Manchester. Um, so this is uh, Dan Stevens and Penelope Wilton sitting at a breakfast table. This is Matthew, mm-hmm. um, who is the new heir, and his mother, uh, Isabel. They're having breakfast. The post has arrived, and Matthew opens a letter. He says, it's from Lord Grantham. And Isabel's like, well, what does he want? And he says, he wants to change our lives. And then it cuts to black. Yeah, I won't um, lie. I didn't understand what that scene was about. Like, I could understand it was a hook for the next episode, but I, like, mm-hmm. didn't know who those people were or what was implied. But, you know, clearly it's, a uh, you know, something's yeah. going to happen in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that was the episode. Yeah. I liked Man. it more than I thought I would. Um, I mean, I didn't like, I didn't think I would hate it. Cause like, I know it's a very good show and a lot of people love mm-hmm. it. It had to be very good, but I, you know, even given that I'm not such a fan of period pieces, I was a little bit more into it than I thought I would be. I really liked the characters and the dynamics and stuff. Like there was a lot of interesting conflict and interesting relationships mm-hmm. going on. Um, I, I mean, I will say much like you said about Dickinson, I don't know that it's super high on my list to get through, but I wouldn't be opposed to watching more of it. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly just because, like, my thing with period pieces like this is, like, it's a little dense. And it's yeah. hard. Like, I, it took me much longer than an hour to watch this episode because I kept pausing and rewinding, which is partly on me because I get distracted and I zone out. But I really had to rewatch the scenes to make sure I knew what was going on. And that that's not really yeah. a criticism of the writing. That's just, like, how my brain interacts with the period pieces. Because um, I do mm-hmm. think they made, like, they made the conflicts pretty clear. Even the stuff about the entail, I had never heard of that before. But I was able to, like figure out what was going on so like i think they did a good Mm -hmm. job 
of kind of making the audience understand what that was without being like super expositional and like explaining it in words yeah um yeah i Mm -hmm. i think it was interesting and i i mean i think it was very well done i think it's hard to do a pilot for an ensemble show like this where there's so many characters but i i felt like there was a pretty good balance of the different character like obviously i didn't remember all of them like some of the ones that were less featured in this episode i wouldn't have been able to tell you their names like anna or daisy or whoever like i wouldn't have remembered those if mm-hmm. not for you going through it right now but you know they definitely did give a good range of like what the vibe is at the estate and i like i said earlier i like how they kind of had a good balance and interplay between the family and the servants i think that is stronger than if it was kind of just one point of view yeah and i think that um i think that this julie what julian fellows does well is as like as i've watched this i've watched this many times i've lost count of how many times i've seen this episode um it it's close to 10 now as i watch it i realize how much he actually set up for later that i like never really thought about before like it is also very much a a lot of details that are like blink and you miss it like Mm -hmm. uh like thomas going into the village to send Mm -hmm. that telegram uh or the whole thing with daisy and the chicken where she almost poisoned everyone yeah i missed Um, the poison part on my first watch i like to me i i missed the poison and i thought the gag was oh it's so important that the egg gets up there but yeah no she almost killed everyone (laughs) which would have been funny too Uh, yeah um and yeah i it's still this still feels a little long to me but it is not as long as the gilded age pilot and for that i must give it credit yeah the gilded age pilot is an hour and 20 minutes That's and not long. nearly as interesting that is too long this one i will say it did feel long but yes. it did feel interesting there wasn't anything unlike some of the other ones we watched like the americans where it was long and i didn't i didn't hate how long it was but there were a couple scenes where i was like you could have cut this scene um mm-hmm. i don't like there was nothing in this pilot that felt like it didn't belong um, maybe yeah. some of it could have been told a little bit faster and a little more condensed if they had to fit it into a shorter runtime, but none of it felt blatantly unnecessary. Yeah, I would agree. And the other thing that I really appreciate about Julian Fellow's writing is that he does like a comedy of manners, witty banter really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like in everything of his that I've seen. Um, even in Gilded Age, like one of the, I don't like Gilded Age as much as I like Downton Abbey. Um, but like Christine Baranski's Zingers, great. Yeah. Um, uh, also, uh, Carrie Coon's character's Zingers, also great. Um, but I feel like a lot of the humor in the show, I feel like if you tell someone you're watching Downton Abbey, you're not going to think it's funny. Um, but, like, the humorous moments are from the things that the characters say, like Violet's, Violet's lines, um, their reactions to their world yeah. are also... Like, the little like, thing about, like, the papers being ironed. Like, obviously, there were a lot mm-hmm. of details about all the things the servants have to do in this episode, but, like, that was a really strong one to include at the beginning, because it's a kind of a crazy thing, ironing the newspaper. Like, you want something eye-catching yeah. like that. Um, that's kind of funny and ridiculous off the bat because it's like that's the perfect example of the things that these rich people take for granted and that the servants have to make happen 
Yeah. And I also think that it does a good job of like explaining to us why they are doing that mm-hmm. in 1912. And I think that because this takes place over the span of so many years, there are a lot of moments in British history that do get mm-hmm. uh, mentioned, uh, which I've always found pretty interesting, the way that it kind of weaves mm-hmm. real things into yeah, I, I the liked, story. I liked how it was using like historical details such as the Titanic, but like mm-hmm. not making it about like it's not like a historical fiction show per se but like it was using mm-hmm. the details of the period to inspire character drama yeah, like it frankly, wasn't like this is about britain in the wake of the titanic sinking it was about like oh well these people's cousins died and now it's causing all of this complicated relationship and money drama in their family yeah and frankly this show is a romance that's what it is um they set some things up in this episode for romance um, that I didn't notice init- on initial watch because I was, again, I was 15. Um, but like they did some setup, um, which is interesting, um, and cool to see. Uh, we did not meet my favorite character. I have a couple of favorite characters, um, but, uh, Sybil is one of them. You don't get much Sybil in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew is also one of them. You get the one scene of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, but my other favorite character is played by Alan Leach. His name is Branson. He is not introduced until, well, Tom Branson. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just call him Branson because he's not introduced till episode four. He's the new chauffeur. Um, he's an Irish man. And I think the reason I like him so much is because he looks a little bit like Niall Horan. Um, <laughs> and they have actually like been on talk shows together joking about how much they look alike. Um, and they're both like, Irishman. So I think that the reason that I probably liked Branson so much is because I was watching this when One Direction was big. Yeah. I just so... wasn't expecting that to be your, your reason for liking the um, character. Well, technically Niall Horan looks like him because he is older than mm-hmm. Niall, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is the, I think I realize in retrospect that is the reason. Also, I think he's interesting as a character, mm-hmm. but that was another reason that I liked him so much. I won't lie. Um, I know who I am. <laughs> anyway, that is another another character that pops up who he has an interesting, this is actually my favorite romance of the show. When I said this was a romance, <laughs> I meant it. Um, he ends up marrying Sybil. I was going to say, like, I, I was suspecting from this episode, I was like, okay, it's only a matter of time until one of these daughters falls in love with a servant. Like I knew, like based Mm -hmm. on what they set up in this episode, I was like, they have to go there. If they don't go there, it's going to feel weird. Um, And so I'm glad that that does happen in the show. I was like, that's a plot that if they don't do that, I'm going to wonder why. (laughs) And I really love them together. Like everyone's all like, Mary and Matthew, Mary and Matthew. And I'm like, no, Sybil and Branson. Oh, so Mary ends up marrying Matthew. So mm-hmm. she falls in love with the one guy that it's very convenient for her to fall in love with in order to solve this entire problem. That's yeah. nice. But they do have, they do have a, they do have like drama between them before they actually No, really I like that. Together. But that makes sense um, for like the yeah. main role, like for the main couple of a show, like it makes sense for like, you know, they're positioned in this way of like, it would be convenient if they fell in love, but will they fall in love? But will they not? Will they just have an arrangement? Like I can see that yeah. being the main romance. Anyway, that's all. We need to stop talking now. <laughs> Uh, no, but I like honestly like I can see like how much you love it. Obviously, I knew you love this show, but like now it 
I may or may not ever finish it. And like, if I do, it probably won't be prompt, but I, I really am considering it now. I did like it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, Mm -hmm. I will never love it in the same way that you do. And that's okay because we have different tastes and we can still recognize and support each other's tastes. Um, I also think (laughs) actually based on, I think there are some things in here that will just make you laugh sometimes. I know. Like that's what I like. it's, it's, It's a little bit lighter and funnier than I thought. Like, I knew it did have mm-hmm. comedy, but, like, it's a little... It doesn't take itself as seriously as I thought maybe it would. I like that it's a little bit soapy, soapier than I thought. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like, yeah, that, like, being able to laugh at it in that way um, is something I appreciate. Um, and, yeah, I can tell that it's, like, really, you know, well done, and it's a great cast, and there's some interesting stories going on. So, yeah, I mean, I do appreciate you, like, making me watch it. Like, that's the thing. Like, some, we, we force each other to watch shows that we know are not really each other's tastes. But, like, that's we also, like, you know, we open each other's eyes to other, to other shows, which is really fun. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. And we get to see each mm-hmm. other's reactions. Yeah. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed talking about Don Abbey yeah. with Adina. Yeah. So, will I watch this at some point? Maybe. Maybe. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you now. If you have any thoughts about the Downton Abbey pilot you'd like to share with us or suggestions for shows we should watch, you can email us at itsinmyqpod at gmail.com. And in case you want to prepare for the next episode discussion with us, the next pilot we will be watching is Friday Night Lights. So go ahead and watch or rewatch that episode so you'll be ready for our thoughts on it next time. If you want to hear our TV thoughts that go beyond the pilot, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at itsinmyq.substack.com for our thoughts and TV news straight in your inbox every Friday. And if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at inmyqpod or on our personal Twitters. I am at Adina Terrific. And I'm at Kara underscore Powell. Thanks for listening, and we hope we've helped you clear out your queue.